On this episode of Why Watch That. It's inevitable that we're going to have conflicts. Why? Because there are uh, limited resources on the planet, period. That's why. There's no way around it. Even though some people think they can create a utopia. Good luck. Fletch is the one who's going to figure out who did it. And she's kind of like, are you qualified to do this? I'm an investigative journalist of some repute. <laughs> you know, mom's like, hey, why don't you come sit with me at the table while I eat, have something? Uh, <laughs> is Lindsay's reaction. <laughs> it's not like, no, forget it. It's like, mm, I don't know. Kiefer Sutherland in The Lost Boys. <laughs> he looked just like him to me. The hair, like the, the jacket. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. that whole thing. It was just kind of funny. I was like, oh, okay. Lost mm-hmm. Boys. Okay. Cry, little sister. You know. Go ahead and watch that movie again, y'all. They're gonna die. They're gonna drag you out of here. Mm-hmm. What? You might be the wife, but I'm really the one he loves. Mm-hmm. She's reading that Bible to him. And other stuff. Come on, y'all, using the Bible like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, mm mm-hmm. Almost every line is, I hate you, why am I doing this? I want to be independent, I want to have a real life, I've been like this my whole life. Like, it's not that she's incorrect, it's just, I'm bored, I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, this is a TV show. (laughs) My gosh. I'd push her (laughs) off of that boat and keep going. Welcome to Why Watch That, your guide to the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. We're on a quest to go from channel to channel, platform to platform, and festival to festival to help you figure out what you want to watch. We do all the work so you don't have to. So get ready for some unexpectedly candid and entertaining reviews that will help you answer the ultimate question, Why Watch That? Welcome to another episode of Why Watch That, where we help you figure out what to watch with all of the options you have today. My name is Brandy, the producer, joined by... Chauncey, the critic. <laughs> and um, we're all over the place. Um, what does that mean? You're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Along with Why Watch That, you can literally catch us on our website on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, um, anywhere that podcast is streaming. So I just want to let, let you guys know um, at whywatchthat.com, um, at whywatchthat, rather, uh, on, on all those things. So we yeah. are going to- You write at whywatchthat.com, too. Oh, yeah, right, that, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're going to jump in. we got a mix, another mixed bag, bring you some movie and TV shows that you can uh, appreciate. And we're going to kick it off with our movie first look. The movie first look is brought to us by Netflix, entitled All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, now, this is an adaptation of a novel. Um, if you haven't heard about it, and it was a Hollywood movie that was um, that won an Oscar at some point um, many many years ago. Yeah, it was like nineteen. Well, it released in nineteen thirty, so maybe I don't know which Oscars it was. Probably thirty one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a long time ago. Long. Time. <laughs> like I think I think it was like the first to win Best Director. Something weird. Like some of the mm-hmm. first awards at the Oscars. I think mm-hmm. they got two of them. Okay. Something like that. Don't quote me. Right. Allegedly. 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 Yeah. It's alleged. That's good. Um, so now, and, and that, like you said, is a Hollywood movie. This is German, which the producer's going, oh, really? I can brush up with yeah, my German? Yeah, I watch can. This. Yes, yes. can. <laughs> and uh, it's not World War II. It's World War One mm. in this case, you know, so mm-hmm. like 1917, that kind of thing mm-hmm. here. So where it starts, my friend, or no, let me be responsible. So this is directed by Edward Berger. A screenplay by Ian Stokel, Leslie Patterson, and Edward himself. And like you said, based on that novel by Eric Maria Remark. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it is starring, starring Felix Kammerer, Albert Shook. Uh, Daniel Brühl is really the one that a lot of people will know 
in this cast. Really, you should have said these names. You know the German, not me. Now, <laughs> it starts off with like this sequence with animals in the forest. And imagine what could be going on there in a war movie. Yeah. And then that kind of idea is reflected in war. We see, you know, people running, bombs going off, shots. Something happens to a soldier. Mm-hmm. So what is the parallel between nature and battle? Mm-hmm. The brutality of it all and the inevitability of it all, really. Then we meet Paul. And Paul has three friends. You know, they're like college age and they're ready to go to war. Paul's Paul's parents are like, I am not signing permission for you to go to no war. But he has other ideas. He's not going to be left behind. And Paul is played by Felix. So he's really the main character. You know, he goes to war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see the sequence where they are, you know, they have to go in. They have to be checked out. You know, that whole kind of thing before they're sent out. They don't mm-hmm. do a long training sequence or anything like that. But it's there. And they're excited. Okay, what happens when they get to war? Hmm. Because the battle they've joined has been going on for a long time, and it it really is incremental steps. Either side, that's all that's happening. You are doing all of this stuff to gain an inch, really. So it's trench warfare, and over time we see how Paul and his friends come to understand the reality here. Now, it is all quiet on the Western Front, right? So what happens during the quiet? They talk to each other. They get to know other soldiers and so on. Maybe they get to know some of the locals. I think it's in France. It's where Mm -hmm. they are. Yeah, it is in France. So that kind of thing. On the downtime, what are they learning about what it is to be human as they're in the midst of this war? And then all of a sudden, the battle is on. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how it happens. So we see that happen over and over and over again in different ways. And what happens to Paul and his friends? Because he wants to keep track of them and his other buddies. But you know, across time, not everybody's going to survive, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that's going on is, you know, look, the Germans are suing for peace, essentially, with the French delegation. That's mm-hmm. the thing. They want to get this thing done. So mm-hmm. Paul doesn't join at the beginning of this war. And Daniel Bruhl plays field, the field marshal here, the head of the German delegation. He really wants to bring this to a close. Can he do it? And who has the leverage here? Also, what happens if you call a truce? How does that get to the battlefield? Right. Will they even know? Mm-hmm. So that's two tracks. It's Paul and then a minor part of it is showing what's going on with the field marshal. And then how does it all end? Now, from the beginning here, it was immediate. Just when they pulled in those animals and then the the battle to start, I thought that was a great way to introduce us to what was going on. Because like I said, there's an inevitability to it of death. The brutality here was routine. Mm. Like the message was very clear to me what they wanted to say about what war is in general, just in general, not just World War I, period. Also, the question, like I was saying, is, well, what does it mean for us as humans? How do you deal with this? It's inevitable that we're going to have conflicts. Why? Because there are uh, limited resources on the planet, period. That's why. There's no way around it, even though some people think they can create a utopia. Good luck. Now, I would also say that this movie just moves along like clockwork. Even in the quiet moments, when it slows down for those, there is a forward momentum, even if it's gentle, that I appreciated. They weren't lingering anywhere. They had a, a reason to show us everything they were showing, even if it was a small little nuanced point. Now, in comparison to the film from 1930, which actually I've seen, I saw it a long time ago, though, almost 20 years ago. So, okay. In comparison to that, that is like a Hollywood studio kind of film. This is closer to a band of brothers kind of thing. Or if you think of War and Peace, if you take away the love stuff, you got to take all of that away. The war stuff there and how that's uh, dealt with, it's closer to that as well. 
it is a modern war movie. It really is. So if you mm-hmm. think Saving Private Ryan, again, 1917, it has echoes of that. It doesn't have their signature uh, sequences, though. I wouldn't say that. But to me, it's a bit more consistent than 1917. I would put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no fuss. It's well executed. It's just the right, right amount of emotion. And again, they have a clear comment on the expendability of humans. Because really, the question is why? Why for mm. all of this? Mm. Um, so there you go. Will you have to read subtitles? Unless you know, know German, you will. Mm-hmm. But I had no problems with that. If you like war movies, you've got to watch this one. Yeah, it's good. Oh. Like, okay, it's good. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right, that's Netflix good. with the that's good. That's it's a good. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. So we have uh, Confess Fletch is up next, brought to us by uh, Showtime. Oh, 180. Whiplash. I'm about to say, yeah, what's this? What's this about? <laughs> Who should be watching it? Well, now the producer is about to go, hmm, when am I going to watch this? How? Let me fit this in. I'm, I'm predicting it. I'm looking into my crystal ball. The title already is intriguing to me. <laughs> Yeah, you put a comment in the title, and then the producer's going to watch. That's right. <laughs> or a colon, like Law & Order SVU. There's a colon. Yes. Any punctuation. <laughs> okay, so, so this is directed by Greg Matola with a screenplay by Greg and Zev uh, Boro. It is based on the book by Gregory McDonald. Now, keep in mind that the original person who starred as Fletch in movies was Chevy Chase. So back in the 80s, like I went back to look at some of this, like the Fletch movie, the first one. And, you know, they start with that whole 80s kind of thing. The music going, you just have the regular old title sequence. You know, Mm -hmm. Stephanie Mills was singing the song. You know, it's just (laughs) you start going, where is Eddie Murphy? You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) So uh, that was fun just to reminisce a bit. And now how does this stack up? Now, in the titular role, this time is John Hamm. Now, keep in mind, is John Hamm a dramatic actor? Of course we know that, but he will do comedy. And it's an interesting thing. Think about John Hamm doing a Chevy Chase role. Mm. What would that be like? Now, joining him in the cast are Marsha Gay Harden with a ridiculous Italian accent, just completely mm. ridiculous <laughs> on purpose. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin. Roy Wood Jr., John Slattery comes back in here. So reuniting with John Hamm from Mad Men, he's mm-hmm. in here. Uh, Lorenza Itzo and others. So at this point, if you know from the original Flex, uh, Flex, Fletch movies, and Marsha Gay Hard calls, calls him a Flesh the whole time. Flesh. <laughs> Flesh. <laughs> Oh, flesh, you don't smell well. You need to take a, a shower, flesh. <laughs> flesh, that's hilarious. Flesh. So, <laughs> Fletch, in, in this case, is no longer an investigative journalist. That's where he is in Fletch and so on with Chevy Chase. So, that's his former life. Mm-hmm. Okay. He ain't a detective either, but he is looking into something. And he'll tell people, he'll be like, look, I, you know, I was an investigative journalist of some repute. because you know they're like why are you investigating this Mm -hmm. now in particular there is a character uh angela or andy who becomes his girlfriend and her father is an italian count and he has an art collection a lot of them patents have been stolen Mm. and look fletch is the one who's going to figure out who did it and she's kind of like are you qualified to do this I'm an investigative journalist of some repute. (laughs) Am I a detective? No, but so what? You know. (laughs) So this leads him from Italy going to Boston. Now, keep in mind that Fletch likes to poke and prod people very easily. Almost like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. So the whole time he's in Boston, he has on a Lakers hat. He's a Lakers fan. I mean, you know. (laughs) At one point, somebody's like, we're going here. You can't wear that hat. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's those little kinds of, you know, 
cooking and prodding that he does. Mm. So he ends up in Boston to figure out what happened to these paintings. Hmm. Now, he is set up like in an Airbnb sort of thing, but in a, a, a nice house, you know. Like Gus says, and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Oh, nice house. It's that kind of thing. Before mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she spurts the water on him, you know, at the end. Come on now. <laughs> Come on, y'all. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Now, he enters here. Who, by the way, who set him up in this rental? I'm not going to tell you. He didn't set it up himself. So he walks in. There's a, a dead woman laying on the floor. No problem. Let's just call the cops. <laughs> that's that's like she's like whatever. Let's just call the cops. They show up and they're looking at him like this dude did it. He's like, no, really, I didn't though. Like I didn't. I'll prove it. Just you know, let me. And there are two detectives. One detective is a veteran detective, but he has a newborn, so he could barely stay awake. Like mm-hmm. this is the kind of movie we're dealing with. And his partner is a trainee. Oh my goodness. You know, is she a deputy trainee? Like, uh, you know, kindergarten cop? Who knows? But she's a trainee. So you can imagine what's going on here. And Fletch outwits them, you know, those kinds of things. So he can get down to the bottom of who did this. It's a whodunit. Now, another, just another signal for the kind of character that Fletch is. So when the detectives first meet him in the home, crime scene, he's cool as a cucumber. He's drinking. Like, you know, he's got a glass in his head. So, you know, the detective is like, how long have you been, have lo- how long have you been drinking? He says, oh, you know, I started drinking when I was like 16, you know, we got an early start, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you know what he's asking you, but he'll answer a different question, even though it's <sighs> technically accurate. It's uh-huh. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. If you like the Chevy Chase Fletch movies, will you like this with John Hamm now? I would say, yeah, probably. Um, mm-hmm. They're really two sides of the same coin. Now, Chevy, of course, is a comedic actor entering the character that way. Um, he's a bit more improvisational, probably, than John Hamm. But John Hamm is probably a bit smoother in the role. I think they both work. I think if you like one, you probably like the other. They're pretty close. I think John Hamm nailed that. Really, John Hamm is the reason to watch this. It's the Fletch character and John Hamm playing him. Not really the whodunit, because it's not that big of a deal. It's kind of obvious, right? Mm-mm. I didn't mention who all of the other players are. Of course, there are people who are suspects or otherwise, like Kyle McLaughlin comes in and that kind of thing. And if you see Kyle McLaughlin, you go, well, <laughs> is it him? Like, just on sight. <laughs> you know, to see John Hamm and John Slattery again on screen is great, because John Slattery plays his former boss when he was a journalist. So he gets pulled in. There you go. It's almost like if you watch Murderville on Netflix uh, mm-hmm. with Will Arnett, if you take away the improv from that show and the guest stars, you'd probably get something like this. So if mm-hmm. that was your kind of thing, I would say you would like this if you haven't seen the former Fletch movies. I mean, this is the kind of thing, producer, you just flop down on your bed or your couch, you turn your brain off, you let it play, you kind of chuckle. And in the end, you go, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, totally making my list. I know. Um, you know it. <laughs> now another thing, and then we'll move forward because I'm not going to review it, but uh, see how they run is now available to stream on HBO Max. It was in theaters, you know, with Sam Rockwell and Sarah Sharonin and a whole bunch of other people in the cast. It's another who done it, and that one, um, it's a more straightforward who done it. However, they make fun of who done it. So there is an Agatha Christie play that's going on on stage in 1950s London. And they're going to transfer it to a Hollywood film. So Adrian Brody is like playing the director and like all of these other people. Okay. Now what happens is somebody dies at the play. Mm. So it's a whodunit with a play about a whodunit. Like like that whole thing. (laughs) And they kind of play around with uh, the genre itself, it's trappings. Like one character is like, you know, um, hey, I hate, <laughs> I hate when they do flashbacks and then they do a flashback. The flash, right. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like Adrian Brody's narrating at the beginning, you know, you, these whodunits, you have this interminable I- I- introduction to all the characters in the setting and they're doing that. You know, it's that kind of thing. However, to me, 
once the style wore off and the momentum, I was kind of like, I don't care. So that's why I'm not reviewing it in full. But just know if you want more classic whodunit, that is available now on HBO Max. Looks great. It looks almost like uh, toned down Wes Anderson did it. Hmm. Yeah, it's just I didn't I didn't really care. I got halfway through. I was like, I don't care at all. Mm, got it. Okay, cool. Well, we got options. Reviews for the price of Look one. At that. Yes, yes. We got bonus. What is this? Giving Tuesday has come early this season. Um, <laughs> we're gonna move on it. <laughs> movie sneak peeks and uh we have something brought to us by apple tv plus that's going to be releasing friday november the 4th um called causeway now what is causeway credit who's in it what is it about whiplash again Ooh. so now we're back to more of a war kind of thing mm-hmm. uh and this is coming to us uh or directed by uh lila Nugebauer. And it's written by Elizabeth Sanders, Luke Goebel, and Otessa Moshveg. I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Forgive me. Okay. Now, it is starring Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. Mm. Brian Tyree Hen- Henry. Ah, Paperboy himself. Along with Linda Emond, Stephen McKinley Henderson, and Jane Howdyshell. Mm-hmm. So these are veteran actors. They know what they're doing. Now, Jennifer is playing a war vet. She has had some sort of event that she needs to recover from. She's lost her memory and motor function. So that's where we start. You know, she's in the wheelchair. She has to recover. She's being let out of the hospital, but she has to go into a caretaker's home. And that's played by Jane. So Mm -hmm. the caretaker has experience with vets. So you see the care literally she takes with Jennifer's character. From, okay, here's your room. Do you need help with this? Are there any little things you need me to get from the store? Because different people have different things that they need. Let me know. Like she says, one guy, I think she was like, uses, um, instead of shaving cream, he used uh, conditioner. Like things like that. Like little things they're adding to this. And by the way, Jennifer's character's name is Lindsay. So we see how Lindsay progresses in the care of Jane's character. But when it comes time to, you know, move forward, the question is, does she need more time, more care, or can she reenter uh, life? Now, essentially, she goes, it costs money to continue this. So, okay, time to go to New Orleans. That's where she's from. And start making some money. And the goal is for her to be redeployed. Yes, redeployed. Why? Why does she want to be redeployed? Why is that so important? But in order for that to happen, she has to have the okay from a doctor. And Stephen plays that doctor, Dr. Lucas. I think that was interesting casting. I love seeing Stephen McKinley Henderson. Very interesting. Because even when you look at Jane and Stephen, they both have soul Mm -hmm. to themselves as actors, as people. So it's, it was good to put them in those kinds of roles. So he's kind of looking at her like, really, you want to be redeployed? Why? Let's get down to the bottom of this. Are you really ready when she thinks she's ready? That kind of thing. Now, remember, she goes from needing help to get dressed, bathing, going to the bathroom, driving. There's a whole thing with that. Why does that matter that she has to get over? So she ends up living with mama again, and she don't want to be there. There's a whole history. With this family, including her brother, who ain't in the home. Is he dead? Is he missing? What happened? You'll find out. And the mother is played by Linda Emond. Character's name is Gloria. Now, is she mother of the year? I don't think so. (laughs) No. But she's not like some horror show. Mm. A lot of this stuff is modulated. So you'll learn what that is. From the beginning, you know, there's something up between the two of them. And then Mm -hmm. it becomes revealed. You know, mom's like, hey, why don't you come sit with me at the table while I eat, have something? Uh, (laughs) Is Lindsay's reaction. "Mm." It's not like, Mm -hmm. no, forget it. It's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> now, while she's in New Orleans living with Mama, she's got to get a job. And she finds a job cleaning pools. How does that attach to what she was doing when she was a soldier, when she was deployed? There is a link. And because she needs to drive, something happens to her vehicle, and it leads her to a mechanic played by Brian. Now, this mechanic also has his own struggles. Some things echo what she's gone through. Now, he was not a soldier, but there is a connection, and they start to build a friendship. Are they kindred spirits? And where is this going to lead? Can they call each other on each other's stuff? And in the end, is Lindsay going to be redeployed or not? Or does she learn something else? Does she have a reason to stay in New Orleans? Okay. Now, Lila, the director, is a stage director. Okay, so I believe this is her first uh, film. And that's important to know because this does have the feel of a stage play almost. Hmm. Where these people, they're talking. Now, of course, Hmm. it's a movie. (laughs) We have sets here and locations. But just keep that in mind. And for Jennifer Lawrence, we know that she can do indie quiet. Essentially, not technically, but essentially she started her movie career that way in Winter's Bone, which is a thriller. This is not a thriller. Hmm. But we know she can do that. Now, though, I think she's old enough to believably play a full-fledged adult. I've had issues with some of the casting with Jennifer when she was younger. Um, I think some of it, not all of it, some of it was not right. Like Silver Linings Playbook, absolutely. That was perfect casting. But when we go to some other stuff that, mm, I don't know, y'all. I was like, she's too young for this. Not working for me. So that's just, it's been my question for her. When it comes to that, like American Hustle. Mm. Yeah, I know you struggle with that. Christian Bale and Amy <laughs> Adams. Are like, okay, she's Christian Bale's. I, no, <laughs> it wasn't believe. <laughs> I didn't buy it at all. Uh, but now there is more of a groundedness to her. I would say she's more settled a bit, mm-hmm. at least as suggested by this performance. So it's no knock on her. Look, if you're going to give me the job, I'm going to take it and y'all can do your Oscar nominations, but you can't tell me that she fit with Amy Adams or Christian Bale and so on in that movie. It did not. That didn't happen. No. Uh, but oh, it was nice to see that here. Um, but the issue I had was every now and then the writing doesn't quite land in her mouth. It doesn't ring true in her mouth. Every, just every now and then, not most of the time. I would just go, mm, that didn't work. Also, also, is she really from New Orleans? Hmm. Hmm. Mm-mm. Compare her with Brian and Linda, where you get that flavor from their dialect. Mm-hmm. So what I would say, though, is it's a good yet imperfect char- character study. That's really what it mm-hmm. is. The, the acting is natural and considerate, which I did appreciate regardless of those little problems I had with it. And I do think overall it's a wise choice for Jennifer Lawrence. Also, it's not too long, Mm. which was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Causeway title, if you don't know New Orleans, what a Causeway is, look it up. Mm. There is a connection there. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the driving. Mm. Nice. There we go. Cool. I don't know. You Every time really I think nice and polite. Yes. Okay. Look at you. <laughs> Every time I think of New Orleans, I think of beignets. Um, mm-hmm. and I think Cafe beignets. Du Monde. Yes, Cafe Du Monde. And beignets pair so well with coffee. Um, and why am I bringing this up right now? Because <laughs> 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 if you have not heard why why I watch that is on buymeacoffee.com. And what is Buy Me A Coffee? Buy Me A Coffee is a platform where you can support us um, with as little as $5 or by purchasing the TV tracking guide that will help you to keep track of everything that you're watching to support the work that we're doing here. Now, I'm telling you about Buy Me A Coffee, but we also are super appreciative, number one, that you're listening to us in general. Um, So literally, a like, a share, a comment, or subscribe will also be appreciated. But if you want to do a little more, um, buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that is where you can do it. All right. Now, wow. <laughs> T- 
TV series premieres. Yeah, good luck saying this title. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I read that. I had to read it twice in my brain. I was just like, okay. Yeah, I was like, that's it. <laughs> the Bastard Son and the Devil Himself brought to us by good old Netflix. So this is an intriguing title, if nothing else. So um this could be about lots of things. So what is it about? <laughs> Who's yes. in it and who would like this? Well, there is a bastard son. Okay. Um is it the literal devil? No. But many people think. He's the devil, okay? Uh, And is the devil the son's father? Yes. See that? Mm -hmm. Look at that. All right. Yeah. Now, this is created by Joe Barton based on the Half Bad trilogy written by Sally Green. And it stars a whole bunch of people that, well, you know them? Probably not. So, coming to us from across the pond. So, here's what happens. There is a witch mother. So this is about witches. Hmm. She has a one-year-old daughter and an infant son. She's dead. How did that happen? So her kids have to go into the care of her mother, who's also a witch. Now, the daughter grows up resenting her brother. They are half-siblings because they have different fathers. His father is the devil himself. Mm. Now, the son, his name is Nathan. Yes, it is. So, you know, it's this whole thing where his sister throughout the years tells him, oh, you're the reason mom is dead and you're going to be, you know, turned into this evil person like your father and so on and so forth. Because his father is a very powerful witch, very powerful. And he has slaughtered a lot of other witches. That's the issue. And there are two different factions of witches here. They're the Fairborns, who have rules and all of this other stuff. They're less powerful, though, by nature. And there are the Blood Witches, who are more powerful and seemingly reckless, willing to take out any Fairborn they find. Why? Is the question. Is all of this true? Is his father really the devil himself? So they grow up, they become teenagers. Because uh, what happens is, I think it's at, what age is it? 16? Something like that in this show. You've got to get your blood as a witch to become a full-fledged witch. And to actually continue living. Mm -hmm. And the blood has to come from a blood relative. They literally drink it like they're vampires. So his sister's like a year, year older. She gets the blood first. And she gets her powers. That's a part of it. So what does she do when she gets her powers? What is her power? So it's that whole thing. What power are you going to get? You don't know. It Mm. manifests itself. Her power is just enough to be annoying. Mm. Now, she's sadistic anyway. She don't need no powers. She's a nasty, you know, customer without powers. So, of course, she torments him further. Now. The whole time that he's been in the care of his grandmother, he has been monitored by the Fairborns. They know who his father is. And there's a prophecy that says his own blood will kill the wolf. Wolf. Mm. Not like in Teen Wolf. Mm. This is much worse. So they think, oh, this means that the devil himself's son will be the one to kill him. So they want to monitor this son, monitor Nathan, make sure that, well, first of all, the question is, what kind of witch is he going to be? Because his mother is fairborn, his father is blood. Which one? They want to monitor him for that. Can you hear heartbeats? He gets checked up on by a certain person every month. From when he was a little kid to now. You you hear heartbeats. They cut him to see how fast he heals because witches heal, but blood witches heal faster. Mm. Do you do you harbor any, you know, uh, uh, murderous thoughts about other witches? Enter a fairborn family into their community. And in this fairborn family, the father is one of the head hunters. So they hunt the blood witches. 
and he has a daughter and a son. The son and Nathan, do they get along? Mm. And they all know who he is. Now, he's never met witches outside of his family until they enter. So, you know, they kind of poke and prod him, the brother or the son and his friends, to see if he's going to, you know, display anger and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the daughter. Of course, she's completely different. She finds some interesting and so on and so forth. And what's going to happen as a result of that? Now, push comes to shove. He ends up being taken away from his grandmother to be trained. They keep him in a literal cage. And the person who trains him is the person who's been checking up on him monthly. Train him for what? What is the training like? And this is all leading up to him getting his own blood and getting his powers and so on and so forth. But of course, a complication occurs. So, you know, he breaks loose. He gets into the hands of some blood witches. Now, keep in mind, he's going to have to get his blood. Who's going to provide the blood? It's either his grandmother or his father. But things happen. And so over the course of the season, this is the big buildup. Is he going to get the blood? What happens when he does? Is the prophecy going to come true? And so on and so forth at the end. Now, by the end, before the end, I should say, I knew what they meant by the prophecy. I knew exactly what his own blood will kill the wolf. I knew what was going to happen. I saw that coming. Mm-hmm. I was like, nope. <laughs> like, and this stuff, okay, whatever you say it is, is not. Like, once you go down that road, you start going, well, who could it be? Who could it be? <laughs> so you'll see what happens. I won't give any more away. I was about to say something more. I won't. You can watch <laughs> for the rest of it. When I started watching this producer, I was thinking about The Magicians. I believe that is still on Netflix because that was a sci-fi show. I think that's still there. But in in comparison to the first season of The Magicians, I would say this is more straightforward and immediately potent. Mm. Now, The Magicians, to me, the second season was their best by far, like knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. First season was fine. This one, I think, is a better start. Um, yeah, I just liked it. I did like it. Did I think it was perfect? No. But if you like the magicians, you probably do want to check this out. Um, you'll see how everything grows. I didn't give away a lot of the different characters that he meets and all of the different circumstances that he gets in. And the other thing they do well is they don't spend too much time without us seeing some witch stuff. I always have a problem with that in some of these shows. But it's like, okay, can we get to like the powers or whatever this is? Like, why am I waiting? They have... I think they modulated that quite well. They Mm -hmm. will show you some powers. Okay. They will. People will die. There will be blood and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And there is a character that uh, Nathan meets who I was looking at him going like, it's like Kiefer uh, Kiefer Sutherland in the Lost Boys. (laughs) He looked just Mm -hmm. like him to me, the hair, like the the jacket, like Mm -hmm. that whole thing. It was just kind of funny. I was like, oh, okay. Lost Mm -hmm. Boys. Okay. Cry, little sister, you know. Go ahead and watch that movie again, y'all. So if you like The Magicians, I would say check this out. That's the easiest thing I could say. Mm -hmm. There you go. Got it. Okay, cool. All right, so um, next up we have a TV season premiere. Um, That is brought to us by HBO, and this is The White Lotus, back for season two. So... Uh, Critic, how did season two kick off? Yeah. Now, remember, this started like as a limited series, but then it did well. And the whole point is the White Lotus is a resort chain. So Mm -hmm. it's in different locations. Now we're in Italy. And the only remaining character from the first season is Jennifer Coolidge's character. So, of course, she comes back. Mm. You know, Emmy Award winning Mm -hmm. Jennifer Coolidge in this role. So in the start, you know, we're on the beach in Italy and there's a guest there who sees two new guests. She turns to them and, you know, kicks up a conversation and it's talking about how wonderful it is, the food, the resort, the staff, everybody, you're going to love it. She says, quote, you're going to die. They're going to drag you out of here. All right. (laughs) Not, you know, they're going to have to drag you out of here. No, they're going to drag you out. Going to. Smile. Yeah. All right. Hey. (laughs) This goes into the water. 
And when she gets in the water, she discovers something quite unpleasant. Just like the first season, you can imagine what that would be. We go back a week earlier and we figure out who she is. So in this case, uh, keep in mind that this is still uh, created and written by Mike White, who is directing here as well. And in this season, we have in the cast F. Murray Abraham. I'll get to him. Again, Jennifer Coolidge and Adam DeMarco, Megan Fahey, Beatrice Grano, John Grease is back as well with Jennifer, Tom Hollander, who hasn't shown up in the first episode, but will. Sabrina Impacciatore, Michael Imperioli is here from The Sopranos coming in here. Well, well done there. Theo James, Aubrey Plaza, Haley Lou Richardson, Will Sharp, Simona Tabasco, and Leo Woodall. Mm. So that's the entire main cast there that I've said. So what we find out is, okay, this person who was talking about, they're going to drag you out of here. is Daphne. And Daphne's played by Megan Fahey. And she's married to Theo James character, Cameron. And they're on vacation with Cameron's uh, college buddy, his roommate. They turned into friends. And his wife is played by Aubrey Plaza. Her name is Harper. And the husband's name, the friend's name is Ethan. And Ethan is played by Will Sharp. Now, when it comes to Harper and Ethan, you know, they watch the news and read the news. They're very serious young people. And, you know, when it comes to the other couple, they're like, news? No, we're not watching that. We've got enough of the real world here. We're doing other stuff. So is this like oil and water? Especially when it comes to Harper. She really is not feeling her husband's friend and his wife. Mm. Now, this is the White Lotus. All of these people are a mess. They are all flawed, even when they think they're not. So keep that in mind. So really, the question is, what is the comment here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? You don't quite know. And one thing I did like was I did like Theo James take on his character so far because the way he's looking at Aubrey Plaza sometimes that tells more of the story than the writing. Mm-hmm. Like there was there was some quick looks he was giving her that I was just like that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. So there's an interesting dynamic that's going to happen there because the question is where are they going to end up in relationship? Is Harper really still going to be, you know, mad at these people? Or is there something disturbing that's going to happen that may change her mind, even against her own will? I don't know. You'll see. Now, there is also, from the outside, looking at these guests enter, because at the beginning of the White Lotus, they always, you know, show up at the resort. They're welcomed by the staff. And we do have a manager. And the manager here is, you know, like everything needs to be right, just like from before. But there are two characters waiting for someone outside of the resort. And we come to find that one of them is a professional. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So she's there with her friend. Who are they waiting for? Well, it's some American man. Mm -hmm. Mm. They don't know who it is. Who could it be? Could it be some of the people I just mentioned before? Or will it be some of the other people? Now, let's get into them. Now, one thing that we can go to is back to Jennifer Coolidge's character. So Tanya's back. Now with her husband, Greg, played by John Grease. Now, remember, in season one, when she met Greg, he like had a terminable illness. So what happened? And what's the state of their relationship? Especially since Tanya has brought her assistant. Greg is not happy. Greg got to the resort before her, sees the assistant. He was like, I thought this was just for the two of us. Come on now. Hmm. What is going on? So Tanya turns to that assistant and is like, "Uh, can you like just go to your room and stay there? I'll still need you, but we don't need to see you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Okay. So you know what's going to happen. Let me tell you something. If I go to a wonderful resort in Italy and I, my boss tells me, I don't want to see you, you got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not staying in that room, though, but you will not be seeing me. I will be enjoying this on your dime. You got it. <laughs> but how does this 
assistant receive all of this is the question, you know. So you you can imagine how that's going to go down. And this assistant's name is Portia, played by Haley Lou Richardson. Now, Portia really needs to get it together and understand the boom that this is. And while she's complaining about this on the phone by the pool, she meets someone. She doesn't know who she's met. And this someone is attached to the other group of characters that I'm going to introduce. So this is where we get Michael Imperioli and F. Murray Abraham and so on. So this family, father, son, and son, or I should say grandfather, father, and son, they're here because grandfather, F. Murray Abraham's character, Bert is his name. Well, I think it was something like his grandmother is from Sicily. So they're here to visit, you know, their hometown, where they're from. But Bert, he's an old man who's like, I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to flirt and all of that other stuff. Now, Michael Imperioli's character, his son, Dominic, is kind of like, you know, dad, get it together. And Dominic is a Hollywood producer. Okay, so he's like, hey, I'm in my room. You two enjoy I got business. Does he have business? What's going on there? And his son is Albie. Albie is played by Adam DeMarco, and Albie's the one who meets Portia. So what's that like? Mm -hmm. Now, remember, somebody here wants to get some loving from an Italian professional. So that's really the setup with all of these characters. And of course, they will expand upon them along with all of the employees as the season progresses. What I would say is uh, it was a solid start to this season. Um, There was enough to set up the rest of it, but it's not a new show anymore. So that's going to be the question. Now that we know what the Mm -hmm. formula is, Mm -hmm. can Mike make it interesting enough bring enough surprises to keep it fresh? That would be my question. Once again, it's well-casted. I think for me, of course, Jennifer Coolidge is always great to see. And her with John Grease is interesting, what's going on there. I'm I'm interested in what really is happening between the two of them. But of course, if you put F. Mary Abraham in the cast, that's what I'm going to be paying attention to. I mean, the man is farting. He's doing all other kinds of stuff in here. It's just like, okay, we can make a whole show about him. He has a line. Oh, goodness. He's talking about body parts and, you know, all the beauty and all this other stuff. He says, and I won't say the whole thing. He says, quote, it's not, he says, I'm sorry, quote, it's a, it's not a sunset. Now, look, okay. (laughs) The comedic equivalent of what was going on in Requiem for a Dream. Mm. Okay. <laughs> the comedic equivalent. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a sunset. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> so more of that will mm. be welcome here. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. <laughs> White Lotus. <laughs> oh, the White Lotus. Um, the White Lotus. Some great lines again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even just when she was like, you're going to die. It's like, well, is that how we say that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's next? So we're going to head to our season finale uh, brought to us by Stars. Um, This is The Serpent Queen. And if you haven't heard, it's been renewed for season two. But we're going to hear now about what season, how season one ended. So yeah. how was the season finale? Yes, because uh, after episode one, I talked about it. It was, you know, it was like this irreverent take on royalty was what I was mentioning. So I was like, okay, like the favorite, that kind of thing. Interesting. All right. But then after episode one, episode two grounded the affair. It grounded the ridiculousness. And I thought it was well balanced because were they at the level of the favorite in this show in episode one? No, it was just good is what I would say. I think it was smart to kind of balance it a little more in the dramatic direction. Not all the way. But I think they kind of hit their stride starting in episode two. The show became clearer what it wanted to be, I'd say it that way. Mm -hmm. And then by episode four, 
they actually got me to care a little. Why? How? Let's talk about what's going on here. So remember, this is Samantha Morton playing Catherine de' Medici, Queen of France. But she tells her story, how she came to be that in the position she's in. And even in the moment when she's telling the story, she hasn't shored up her power. So she's telling her story of how she came to be who she is to a servant girl. So this servant girl comes to him, comes to her, sorry, in a certain fashion. She's like, look, I'm more like you than you think. Tells her story. Okay, so we know that she's in the de' Medici family. At the time when she was a child, they were in trouble. They were about to be wiped out, even though her uncle was the Pope. The uncle is the one who essentially saved her and married her off to a prince in France. Now, not the heir apparent, the younger brother. How does the younger brother receive her? She's always wanted his love from the first time she met him. Is he able to give it to her? Because there's a cousin in the French court who's like his mother or more. And this cousin's looking at her like, hey, cousin, move over. You might be the wife, but I'm really the one he loves. She's reading that Bible to him (laughs) and other stuff. Come on, y'all using a Bible like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. she starts telling her story of how she's had to deal with all of these trials and tribulations to be where she is. Even, you know, giving the prince an heir, a son. Because mm-hmm. we know she's going to be queen. And if you know history, you know certain things happen here. Even her husband's older brother, what's that like? And all of the people she brings in her own court, you know, her her retainers, they are all scheming. They, you know, they want to stay alive, too, and make money. You know, she has a, a dwarf with her. She's got, you know, somebody who can tell the future, supposedly, and, you know, a, a dressmaker who's up to no good and some sly woman who has potions. And, you know, <laughs> I didn't write it. So there they all are. <laughs> And of course, she has kids eventually. We know that. What happens to the children? How can she leverage them to maintain her power? What happens to the husband? And so on and so forth. But in episode four, that's what I mentioned when they actually got me to care a little, which I was kind of shocked by. I was like, oh my gosh, why do I care? It was because to me, the best relationship in the show was between Samantha, because At first, Liv Hill plays her when she's younger, and then, of course, you do that whole transition when it's Samantha. And it was between her and the king, the king of France, yes, who's played by uh, Barry Atzma. Or sorry, no, 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 no. I'm calling out the wrong name. So the king of France here, Barry's playing somebody who's a member of the king's privy council. Okay. So the king of France... And Catherine, before she becomes queen, that to me, there was an interesting dynamic between the two of them that I hoped or wanted the whole show to have. Because outside of them, these people are fools, depraved persons, or both. The men dismiss the women. The women have contempt for the men. It was when they flipped that that I found this more interesting. Mm -hmm. Because the king sees Catherine as someone of value. The king is like, I need you here with my son. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what's going on with the, the, you know, children. You need to be here to guide my son. And she has respect for the king in return. She listens to him. She knows that he takes her seriously. That, to me, was the interesting relationship here. Hmm. Outside of that, it was kind of like, okay, I get it. I'm just tired of stuff that we hear all the time in the real world on TV and in movies. I'm just tired of it. Like, okay. Like, what are you adding to this conversation? Now, do they do that? Well, yeah, they do it pretty well. I will give it to them, which is why I finished the season. Um, I just wanted more of that. More when you tweak it that way in a way that's unexpected. I also appreciated that Catherine had to learn from constant failure. Hmm. That was nice. 
What a novel concept. Oh my gosh, the lead character fails and learns from it. Who knew that it was possible? I mean, she fails over and over and over again and learns from it. I mean, she becomes, uh, you know, properly <laughs> conniving by the time she's telling the story to the servant girl. Mm-hmm. And what's going on with the servant girl? Why is she telling the servant girl the story? There's got to be a reason. It's all connected to power. Now, when it comes to the storytelling to the servant girl, I just thought, mm. like once it was revealed what the reason was, I was just like, mm, I don't know. I could just, we don't need to do flashback here for me. We could just tell the story as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. So was this a perfect season? No. Was it good? Yeah, I would say it was good overall. The acting is good. Um, I'll check out season two based on season one as well to see where they go. I just think there are more potent parts of their story they didn't always tell. Mm. Got it. All right. <laughs> cool. So you're going to watch season two? Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll start with that. You know, and at the end of season one, everything comes to a head. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of enemies that could be going after Catherine, right? Is she mm-hmm. going to be able to handle that? You know, I didn't get into the whole Catholic church element and the Catholics versus the Protestants and, you know, in the form of two different families who are conniving, you know, that whole kind of thing. It's not anything you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've seen these kinds of shows and movies. Got it. Cool. Yeah, but right. this is... Good. Despite all of that, they do a good job of it. All right. Now we're going to head into TV sneak peek. Um, Something we haven't seen yet. The Mosquito Coast brought to us by Apple TV Plus, and it will be available on November the 4th. So what is this about? Who's in it? Who should be watching? Well, you should know, because this is season two. Now... This is created by Neil Cross, uh, based on a book by Paul Thoreau, same name. Mm -hmm. And Paul is uh, Justin Thoreau's, the star's uh, uncle. So, okay, Thoreau family's coming in here strong. And starring in this, along with Justin, is Melissa George and uh, Logan Polish and Gabriel Bateman are in here as well. So... So there's a family, played by the four actors I just mentioned, and the parents have troubles with the government. Let's say it that way. They got to live off the grid, all of that. And they're doing so in the States at the start of this series. Push comes to shove, they have to escape to Mexico. How? You know, you just can't leave the country if they're looking for you. Mm -hmm. How do they do that? You can imagine. This leads them into all kinds of hot water. There are all kinds of escapes they have to make, like MacGyver. They end up in Mexico, and in there, they start running into trouble with cartels. You know, they just can't get out of harm's way. Very much like Ozark. Ozark. That's literally what I was thinking. Very much like that, Mm -hmm. but a little different. Um, I would say this is more adventurous Mm. when it comes to their escapes. Mm. You know, Ozark is more about the mind. This is the mind and the body. Okay. You know, that kind of thing. They will get down and dirty. Let's do explosions and crash cars and things like that. Let's get on a boat because that's really what they want to do. They want to get on a boat and get to someplace safe. Okay. Now, their kids are teenagers, just like Ozark. So Mm. you know what's going to happen. (laughs) and they haven't told their children the truth about why they've always been on the run for their lives. These kids have never Mm -hmm. had a real life. So the daughter, you know, the whole time, the whole show, she's like, I want to go back to the States. I want to go to college. I want to have a real life the whole time. Why are you doing this to me? I hate you blaming the father because the whole point is they're running away because of something that he did or, is there something more? Because the whole time, Melissa George is the mother is looking around with that sly look like, ooh, maybe there's more to the story. And in season two, we do get what that story is. So Dina, the daughter, played by Logan, is just a regular old teenager. But to me, I need a new thought from her. Mm-hmm. Every 
almost every line is, I hate you. Why am I doing this? I want to be independent. I want to have a real life. I've been like this my whole life. Like, it's not that she's incorrect. It's just, I'm bored. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, this is a TV show. My gosh. I'd push her off of that boat and keep going. <laughs> and she's right. It's just, can we have a new thought? <laughs> now, the son, of course, is the one who's like, no, we got to understand them, blah, 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 blah. Is he going to end up that way in season two? Now, in season two, they end up where they were trying to go. But of course, this is going to pose a problem. So they are they going to grow roots in this new place in Mexico and the rainforest, you know? And it's like this whole community where everybody works together. And, you know, uh, there's, though, the person who owns the land. And that's an issue. Mm. Because how are they paying rent on this land? So the woman who's running this place is like, oh, finally you've gotten here. Thank you, because I need you for this, this, and that. Are they going to be willing to do all of these things? Hmm. Now, Justin's character's name is Allie. So Allie's like an inventor. He is great at computers and coding and all of this stuff, which is why he's in some trouble. So there's something that he coded that somebody might want. Does he want to give it up? And while he's trying to figure all of this out, not only is the daughter the one going, I got to leave, but so is the wife. His wife, the mother, Melissa George's character, Margot. She's kind of like, yeah, the kids and I need to go. But is she in any, does she have any standing to say this? Any. Now, because of her, people from her past come back and complicate everything. So this is a big mess again. They're back in dealing with the cartel, a different one. They now have this whole commune kind of place. They got people from our past coming in. They got the government, i.e. the NSA, to contend with still. And where are they going to end? Hmm. Bombs are going to go off. Who's going to be caught in the crossfire? Now, I've seen the whole season. This, you know, will be released weekly. So just know that it'll end, I believe, in January. So by the time you get to the end, that'll be when it is. By the time I got to the end, I was like, mm. <laughs> if you all think that I believe it ends this way, no. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. No. Mm -mm. Mm. Now, the question is, will I go to season three to find out that I'm right? That's the question. Because mm. to me, the thing that makes this show good is the momentum, the tension building. They're always in something they have to get out of. They're going after something, whether in flash flashbacks or not. That's when it's possible to ignore the convoluted reasoning of the characters. It's a lot of convoluted stuff. Because really, this is about corporations and environmentalists and imperialism and capitalist consumerism. Like, those are the themes. But it's confused thinking. It's a lot of hypocritical, convenient talk. So when they are just moving forward, it's easy just to let that be. But in this season, I felt it stalling too much. They were in this one location too much. It was too much of the same thought. And then I had to listen more closely. <laughs> so I just found it less entertaining. Not only one note, Dina. <laughs> right. But they're fighting each other now. And it was just kind of like, mm. like the son did something in season one that he has to contend with. I think they could have done more with that. Um, because really the question is, what does it mean to be a family? What does it mean to choose a family? Okay. But the writing to me isn't great enough to tackle that outside of the flash. Mm. So if we go back to Ozark, if you like that, or if you like the film uh, Running on Empty, yeah, uh, with River Phoenix, this is probably a good enough stand-in, probably. Uh, you might, though, get to season two as I did and start going, is it worth it? I don't know. I don't even know if I'm starting season three. Uh, but a lot of the episodes don't feel too long. I'll give them that much, especially in season one. So if you haven't seen season one, watch that. If you, if you like that, give season two a try. 
and see how far you get. Season two starts off well, and then you start going, okay. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you haven't started, start season one. If you don't like season one at all, don't force it. Like it, it won't take long for you to know whether this is something you like or not. Because it starts with what? Who are these people? What is going on? And you get mm-hmm. more and more of that in cartels and stuff like that. So there we go. Mm-hmm. Mixed bag for me when it comes to season two of the Mosquito Coast. I do like Justin Thoreau in the role. Um, outside of that. Hmm. Got it. Cool. All right, guys. So that is another episode of Why Watch That, where we help you to navigate through the movies and TV shows that are currently in the universe of watching to find something that you will love to watch. Until next time. Thanks for joining us. For up-to-date info and to share what's on your watch list, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Why Watch That. And on Twitter at WWT Radio. Also, you can visit us at whywatchthat.com. And while you're at it, don't forget to go ahead and rate Why Watch That Radio on iTunes. Let's keep the conversation going.